Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. That includes Westminster Effects and Nose Pedal. You can check us out, buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion on the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Make sure you like and share the posts and all that good stuff. In person, I'm joined by... It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Insert a list of accolades. You guys know who I am. <laughs> yes. Glad to be here. <laughs> and via the interwebs, by John Ross, who will not be sullied by Bradley's uh, humility uh, this afternoon. <laughs> Westminster effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, and COVID-free individual, might I add. Got my test results this morning uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska. Boy, howdy. So uh, so how does it feel to not have the Rona? Well, you know, I've had... like. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, our listeners over the past few episodes have have heard, you know, like I I tend to edit stuff out, but every now and then you'll hear a hack, you know, just like in a distance, just like that from Cody, and uh, I'm like, you know, I don't have a fever, I don't feel like crap, but like I've got like some stuff, and I know like coronavirus or whatever is like a dry cough, but like I don't know, like my the extent of my medical knowledge is watching House, you know. Like <laughs> it was probably lupus for all I know, and uh, well, anyways, if, if if you were on a house episode, it would be lupus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so we had a we had a scare with one of our worship leaders a couple weeks ago. I think I uh, three maybe three four at this point mentioned that on the program uh, where his wife, uh, who's a school teacher um, or a child care teacher, was exposed to a kid who later tested positive that evening or or something along those lines. And, uh, and so, uh, he had to quarantine himself until he got his test results and we had technically been in contact since then. And, uh, it was a whole thing. So I, you know, I wasn't certain I, I, I'm, I'm more certain that Cody and I probably got, got, uh, got COVID at winter Nam, uh, this past year. I think there's a higher likelihood there's of no that doubt in my mind that we were um, exposed somehow, oh yeah. but anyways, uh, this past Thursday, I was at rehearsal. Um, uh, good family friends were in town who live quite a ways north, and my parents were in town too. So they're like, oh, yeah, come over and visit. Uh, well, he calls me uh, yesterday night saying he started showing symptoms on Monday. And, uh, I mean, my parents were here when they were here, and, like, they're, like, 70. And, uh, you know, my kids have, like, history of, like, respiratory issues. And they're all three of them are supposed to get on a plane with my mother-in-law on Monday and head down to Florida uh, for a while with my in-laws. And it was this whole thing. And so we, uh, we actually were able to get a rapid test this morning done in an urgent care clinic here in Lincoln. Um, and, uh, and just to make sure, it's probably going to uh, righteously bend me over when the bill comes. But... Um, my insurance company said it should be taken care of, and there's uh, there's some air bunnies there uh, for the listeners at home. But anyways, um, they shoved the shoved the chopstick all the way up into my face, and uh, and a couple hours later, I'm home free. So um, I will say that even though I, I never was really confident that yeah I've got it or or like hmm I'm worried a little bit, it's still a nice peace of mind to know that. 
Um, considering oh, I'm yeah. the person who is going to, I mean, I'm wearing a face mask, but you know, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm, you know, I'm going to the gas stations. I'm going to the, uh, uh to church even, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, uh, the home improvement stores for various projects that, um, uh, I'm, that I'm, I'm in good shape. So that's, that's nice. Uh, so yeah, yeah. it feels pretty good, Cody. It, feel, it feels good. Radio Officially, you heard it. You heard it here first. It feels good to not have COVID. Um, so let's just since since we're celebrating John's negative test result, let's just jump right. In. <laughs> we had we all right. Had a we got a hundred episodes down. It's downhill from here, folks. So uh, as yep. as Brian Morris <laughs> predicted last week, as he was our our special guest, it's all downhill from here, folks. All downhill. Uh, so we had a an Inquisition question last week from Matt Paragoy. Uh, that was it was going to be involved enough to warrant its own episode. I, I had it on the Inquisition list, and uh, and as we got into the episode, I was like, hmm, this is going to take too long for uh, just for the Inquisition. Uh, but we do have some fun Inquisition questions today, fellas. Just mm. just as a heads up, um, including uh, guilty pleasures for music. Hmm. So. Uh, it'll be confession time. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Matt Paragoy asked, and this is a little bit of a longer question. So hold on, you know, hang in there with us. Does the white evangelical North American church do the global church and body of Christ a disservice by co-opting and inevitably making musically less interesting songs like Waymaker and erasing their authorship and the story slash context behind why the song was written? How can churches do a better job of acknowledging the authorship and artistry of people of color and global artists whose songs are used by the industry to feed the CCM machine? So we did a little preliminary discussion before we uh, before yeah. we hit can, record. Can I just interject and, here and uh, say that that kind of sounds like a plot point to like a Doctor Who episode to feed the CCM machine? <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just, <laughs> I just see this thing with like yeah. a, a that has like CCLI branding all over it, and it has like a digitized version of Chris Tomlin's face, you know, or or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like we, we won't we won't argue the CCM machine is a is a real thing, and and we would have our own criticisms. Absolutely, of it, it is. Uh, but Bradley, you kind of took issue with even how the question was framed in the first place, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the question has some problems. No offense, Matt, but, um, you know... Matt, please keep listening. Yeah, for, for one thing, I think that there, there's there's quite the presumption here that, you know, first of all, let me rephrase the question. It, it, it's, it sounds like to me, if I boiled it down to its simplest form, that when the white evangelical church takes a song that originated in the black church more soulful gospel genre yeah and stylistically changes that to fit what might be considered the more white cultural style of music and yep. worship yep that a a disservice has been done that and that disservice leads to erasing the authorship and the story and content behind the song, and then subpoint make makes it musically less interesting. Matt, I might agree with you that white style does make music a little less interesting. 
I, I might agree with that because, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in the gospel black church, you know, you don't play a G chord. You play a G major 7, 9, flat the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. like that. that is a that, – that's just true. I mean, there's mm-hmm. – and, and furthermore, the now here's where I might get in trouble, but I'm just going to say it. White people tend to sing differently than black people. Yes. They're, they're, that's not a – that's not a – Black, just the culture, the church mm-hmm. environment that they grew up in, the way that they sing, there's more of a chest, guttural sound that comes from a black choir or a black singer mm-hmm. that you do hear sometimes in white people. But I mm-hmm. think I can make a really strong case that that's rare. That's fairly right. rare that you hear white people sing that way. That's why when you when you hear a black choir sing versus a white choir, there's just a Umph to it. Hey, there's yeah, a that reason. Was, that was literally the there's that a reason Whoopi Goldberg yeah. was able to turn that church choir around. All right, exactly. Like, <laughs> I, so I yeah. would agree with Matt that that black gospel tends to be more musically interesting, uh, complex, and soulful than white music. But I don't, I don't think that. I think that's a huge leap to say that. Taking a black gospel song and making it more white stylistically erases the authorship and the story context behind why the song was written. I think that's that's a leap that I'm not willing to make. Right. I think I think it would help if we if we backed away from from Waymaker itself. Uh, we've played it here at Res a couple of times. It's not my favorite song. Sure. Um, I do. I do. I will say this. Uh, even though I don't love the song, um, I appreciate the bridge. Uh, even when I can't see it, you're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even when I can't feel it, you're working. Where we have such an, an overemphasis on feeling like God is doing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to feel. feel. Yeah. You don't have to have your feels to know that God is working all things to your good and to his For glory. For sure. You know, we've, we've talked about in the past how... Um, the selection of music to be sung in a corporate setting is is important for a number of reasons, one of which is that those songs ultimately do uh, form uh, in, in some they have a formative uh, effect on the belief and practice of those who sing them, uh, especially in a church context and you know, having those bits in there that are positively edifying is a good thing. Now, before we leave Waymaker altogether, I think, I mean, so what I will say is, is right before we hit record, um, I, you know, we, I was looking through the show notes that Cody had put up and I was like, hold on a sec. Is, 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 is Waymaker not an original song? Like I know that, you know, Caleb has the Michael W. Smith version and it's, well, it's my, it, it's Michael it's W. Michael Smith. Smith, and it's Michael. <laughs> that might be a disservice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we, we can just say the official stance of the Doxology podcast is Michael W. Smith is a disservice. I li- hey, I like old. I like old Smitty, but, but okay, I'll, I'll give yeah, you new that. stuff. I'll give you so, that. So, but here's the thing. So, I I did a little bit of uh, a little bit of Google Google binging, and uh, turns out that. You, that it's not. It's not an original that that Michael W. Smith like took from Leland and and it just started there. Turns out this song, actually, as Matt would would lead us to, has its has its roots in a more uh, gospel, um, demographically black uh, kind of kind of context. 
And uh, one of the videos I found uh, from an artist named uh, Sinach or is, uh, it, Sinach? Sinach. I don't know. I was going to ask you. S I N A C H. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm even going to try. Not sure. I'm not even going to try. Um, but it's it's titled Sinach Waymaker Official Live Video, and it's fantastic. Like like I never cared for Waymaker, and every time it would come up in our in our worship planning meetings, I would be like, ugh. I mean, and we don't do it. We don't do it currently because it's just so plain and vanilla. And then I hear this. I'm like, I like this song now. I like this song now. Can we do this song in this way? I don't believe so. It's not that we don't have like the the musical prowess to to pull it off. It's just not what we play. And if we were to play it, it would probably have a more rocky vibe. Um, but it would it yeah. would lose a lot of that soulfulness. So I, I almost wonder if if Matt not like Eye of the Tiger, Rocky. Well, no, but like no, but like <laughs> you, but rock you and roll Adrian, is what you're saying, Adrian. Uh, yeah, but you know, I almost wonder if if Matt had the same sort. Like he stumbled across this, like that's what the original sounds like, and then you're and then the the question gets framed. Oh man, <laughs> you know, old whitey boy Leland took this. And completely sterilized it and made it into mm-hmm. minivan played Christian CCM Christian music rather than rather than the rich soulful gospel stuff that that we that we've got uh, in in this original recording. Um, yeah, I you know I I don't know. And if that's the if that's the source of the question, then I'm like, uh, you know, is it a disservice? I mean. And does know. it does it erase does it erase authorship and story context? I, I that's where I can't get he, to. But, but where it, where if he wouldn't have asked this question, I would have had no idea. I would have zero idea. Well, true. Know? It it it's it's a worthwhile question to ask. I just think that it like if I were to ask the question, I would have made it more of a question mm. to mm-hmm. say, d- is it a disservice? Is it is it does it compromise? authorship and story and context i mean i think that it just feels like the question presumes that yeah, those things I mean, happen the, the question really and, is and that's where as if it said does the church d- does the white evangelical north american church do a disservice because all the rest of these statements are 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 presumed to be true yeah i mean right. but but the con the content of the song isn't compromised when a more uh white feel if, if, I, I don't know. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But see, a little context on me. I, I cut my teeth in the praise and worship world in a gospel choir mm-hmm. that was very much mixed, almost split down the middle, African-American and white. And we did a lot of gospel soul stuff. And there it was such a sweet time. And Mary and I have been talking about this, given all the racial tension that's going on, is that mm-hmm. I miss that part of that season in my life where I had really close friends and I was doing ministry. Uh, Rez is mostly white. and But back during that time, I was involved in a lot of settings where there was a great mixture of race and style musically and in the praise and worship that we were doing. And so I, I know this. We, we had lots of conversations about how, you know, gospel music has a level of interest and, I don't know, soul depth that 
you know, you, I guess you could argue that in in a in a more white context with white that play more of a rock style, mm-hmm. it just doesn't have that. And this song Waymaker is. It's an emotive song. It's a repetitive song. And when you add that soul to it that we heard on the video that John found. Oh, it adds so Mm. much depth. It's like you can get lost in that. I love that. Think of it this way. Like, as musicians. But I don't think it compromises authorship. No, 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 I I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I... I suppose this is a question that could be asked to, I mean, not not just about Waymaker, but, I mean, really, and, and I, I know we, we poke a lot of, of fun at, like, Chris Tomlin, for instance, because Chris Tomlin's bread and butter is, I mean, sure, he does the hymn thing at a bridge or a chorus and, and makes it, quote, fresh, right? And But some of those are actually good, you know, but, you know, mm-hmm. Tomlin's kind of, kind of thing is always, like, he has originals, you know, that's, how, that's what got him on the map. It was like... Uh, um, Holy is the Lord, or, or whatever was his first quote, uh, CCM hit. Uh, but his thing is that he will take these songs that were written by other songwriters, and he will make them big. And, you know, I don't know, as a songwriter myself, like, if... Uh, I mean, the thing is, is like, it's not like... Uh, uh, what, what was the name uh, of, that, of that lady? Sinach, or whatever, Sinash... Sinachi, I don't know. Uh, it's not like her or or her record label or whoever owns the rights to that song were unaware that Leland, Michael W. Smith, Darlene Jack, and, and and everybody is covering this song. She's making bank off that. You know, it's not like she's unaware. Mm-hmm. And so she made the decision to be like, you know what? I like my song. I want to see what they do with it, for better or for worse. Sure, you can have the recording rights to it. Just send me a fat check in the mail. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily know if I agree with you, Bradley. I I don't really, really think it, it destroys that, that authorship. I will say that with many Tomlin songs as well, like when you eventually get back to the source, the original song, you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and in, in some cases it's good because it's like legitimately musically better, but at the same time, sometimes it's good because it's just different. But this, I've never found a. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to finish that thought um, by by saying, you know, the CCM machine is is a real thing, and um, yeah. I mean, not that I'm going to go as far as like the apostasy report channel on YouTube goes um, with with this. Please don't watch that. That channel is toxic. But um, <laughs> is that is that the service, Christie? Yeah. 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 That that guy's a joke. Yeah. Bless his yeah, heart. So so. So don't. Um, but I'm not going to go that far, but what I will say is that the CCM industry is an industry, and it's owned by record labels, or, or, or at least made up of record labels, whose goal is to make money for them and their artists and their stakeholders. So yep. in that, there are record executives and producers who know what sound is going to get played. And... Yep. Us three as musicians, our listeners as musicians, and everyone else will probably say, you know what? Nickelback sucks. And, and they do. But <laughs> you know that Nickelback has more radio plays than like 80% of, of all of the harder rock genre? Like, because mm-hmm. it's sterilized, sanitized, just 
quote, rockish music. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's almost the same thing. Eh? And I, now I'm not saying that, you know, Chris Tomlin or, or Michael Levy Smith are on the same level as Nickelback. But what I'm saying is that that their direction is at least in part framed by these record executives from Sony and BMG and whoever else who are making these pushes saying, you know what, I really like that breakdown, um, but to really engage the listenership or, or whatever, uh, you know, do it this way. Maybe put a pad under everything to soften the sound so it's more relaxing or, or, or something, you know. Well, you know. To make it more generally I I, palatable. And, and listening to you talk, John, and just processing Matt's question more, I mean, I think there, there might be something to the, I don't know if I use the word sanitize or whatnot, but you don't hear a lot of black gospel mainstream. Right. And my question about that would be Why? I don't know why. I, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, yeah, I mean, like some people no, might spe- might say, is that systemic racism? Is that you know selectiveness um, based on what sells the most? But it, it it doesn't really make sense to me because I I where I do agree with Matt is I think there is a there's a there's an interesting element to black gospel style and depth of soul that just is like like let's flip the script. Yeah. Um, I, I went, I've been to Jamaica many times on missions trips. I've preached in a dozen or more churches in Jamaica. And I remember this one church that I've preached in several times. It's a, you know, fairly sizable church just outside of Ocherias, Jamaica. Um, and they have a choir and they have an amazing band. I mean, these, these guys can just flat play, um, and they did this old chorus. John, you might remember it. I doubt Cody does, but it's He Knows My Name. Oh, sure. Nope. Of course. Nope. Don't remember it. He Knows My Name. He Knows My Every Thought. He Sees Blah, Blah, Blah. It's just this little, simple, forgive, forgive the labeling, white chorus that came out somewhere in the 90s mm-hmm. that I, I only knew it in, you know, just you know, white people singing it with you know very little soul. Mm-hmm. They did that song, and I was in tears. Mm. I was in tears. It was just gripping when you have this thirty, forty voice choir and depth. And the like you were saying, John, before we hit record, the the drummer was playing on the backbeat. And they're adding all these interesting chords to it. And these singers are just wailing on this song, He Knows My Name, in four-part harmony. It was just gripping. And I was, I, I was blown away. Like, I, I want to come home and do that song again. But, you know, we don't have a choir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we don't have musicians that play like that. Um, and it's not to say that... You know, a white church can't do gospel music because I've seen it. I've done it. I've been in church. I've led gospel music mm-hmm. in churches. Um, so it's, but there there is something to the the style and the effect that it has on the song. Does it compromise authorship and story context? I don't think so. I just I just wish we could all appreciate the 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 soul of. And 
I'm struggling to find words to describe it, but just appreciate a song like Waymaker and where it comes from, and then also be able to sing it the way that we would sing it, yeah. and it not be an issue and, or and, vice versa. And if that's the Michael W. Smith arrangement, sure. You know, it, I mean, th- this isn't uncommon. Um, like, you know, coming coming from the Lutheran tradition and, and going and getting my undergraduate. Um, at one of the premier Lutheran schools for uh, uh, for organ and choral music, um, like the concept of a re- rearrangements is is not new, and you know Mm-mm. sometimes they do get more complex, but sometimes they get I mean, simpler. If you, you, know? if you it's look not, at it's not nothing anything. Yeah, if you look at an old hymnal, how many of them say to the tune of yeah. Whatever sure. you know, like Irish drinking song yeah, for or sure. whatever, right. you know, uh, or even in the Psalms, you see a, a little header, you know, for for the choir master to the tune of whatever ancient yeah Hebrew. You know, song. I was going to mention something about the at least the Lutheran hymnal, um, you know, the, specifically the Lutheran service book, and, and then its predecessor from from eighty uh, six nine something like that, the uh, Lutheran worship. Um, there's a section in the back that's called um, spiritual songs or spirituals, um, and some of them are that uh, culturally would be considered uh, black gospel. Um, others are from uh, uh, from the far reaches of the world, you know. And the point isn't to be like, you know, let's steal this song and whiteify it. It's let's celebrate how different cultures celebrate the good work of Christ um, in their own voice and their own, uh, in the, you mm-hmm. know, in, in their own way. And if we need to do that, if we need to modify it somewhat uh, to be a, uh, accessible uh, to our, our musical talent or, or our congregation or, or what have you, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a disservice but I think what we can do is, like, for instance, when I see the the other two uh, uh, kind of worship leadership folks, and I'm like, you know, that song Waymaker I hate? Yeah, I don't hate it anymore, but I don't hate it for anymore for one specific reason and one specific version of the song. <coughs> <coughs> Dang it. Whew. I seriously don't have COVID. Um, you know, and, uh, and and, you know, we can be that voice. We don't have to rely on uh, our churches using a song um, that's been, you know, rearranged and reauthored four or five different levels um, to point us back to, you know, this is the person who actually wrote this, you know, in some sort of like pre-song bumper or something. Be like, hey, Mm -hmm. I really like that song this Sunday. Oh, you mean Waymaker? Yeah. Yeah. If you liked that, check out this version. This is the original by the person who wrote it. Like, we can do that. You know, I I, I don't think that... uh, that there's that there's much of an issue there, but I do think that you're right. You know, in cases like this, for instance, um, the Michael W. Smith version is a lot less interesting uh, than the yeah. Sinatra version. I really don't know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, another example. You guys remember the song "Trading My Sorrows"? Of course. Yep. Would you like so me to sing it from re- memory? Yeah, that was written by Daryl Evans back in the early 90s, I guess. Um, And he's white, and it was very much a rock-style original thing. 
Uh, and then Israel Houghton mm-hmm. came out with a much more soulful version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that version. Definitely. That was awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. Um, so I, I think maybe we have to make the distinction between the CCM machine for a lack of a better term, sanitizing some of the gospel, soulful, original versions of certain songs in order to make them mainstream and then make more money. Like that in and of itself, we might could say is problematic from a racial standpoint. Is it maybe? Is that I don't, I don't know if I would go because I, I guess I'm I'm asking a question. Right? Why is it that the sanitized again using that term for lack of a better one, the sanitized, more tame, less soulful versions mm-hmm. tend to go more mainstream. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. sterilized is a better. I, I don't sterilized. I, I don't thank know, yeah. you. Not sanitized. That's a bad word. Uh, sterilized. You know, less soulful, less interesting versions of these songs tend to go more mainstream than mm-hmm. the original, more gospel soulful. That's a question I don't have an answer yeah, to. I, I remember um, <clears throat> several years ago, before Aaron Gillespie of Under Oath uh, just went off the deep end and doesn't, you know, he claims not even believe in God anymore, but he put out a worship album, uh, like a solo thing. And he even said, you know, in interviews, like he had. Uh, conversations with record executives of no we don't want it to be that deep we want this to be super accessible for the mom of three kids in her minivan who doesn't want to think about it she just wants to feel like god loves her mm, mm, um mm. and and that's that's i think the driving force behind it is is whether with more complex forms of music whether it's black gospel or like a progressive metal mm-hmm. uh you have to you have to process what's mm-hmm. going on right yeah like if you if you listen to bleed by mashuga <laughs> when they've got when they've got polyrhythms going on and it's most of the song is two notes but they're playing in different time signatures <laughs> yeah um you you can't just have that on in the background and be like oh yeah that's nice no, like you you have to invest <laughs> into listening to that uh, because it's otherwise you don't even appreciate the song. Yeah, yeah. And and I think you could say the same thing for something like Black Gospel, whereas uh, mainstream CCM, you know, you got GCD, and if we're really feeling frisky, you get an E minor. <laughs> right. Throw that minor yeah. sixth in there. Right, and and so they've got these formulas. They know will sell, particularly to the mini minivan. Well, that, and, and, and that's interesting because, like, um, you know, they're not so popular anymore. But in the '90s, um, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, mm-hmm. like, they won several Emmys. And there was that's a very much a mixed race choir, um, but they 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 still somehow managed to maintain some of that gospel soul element mm-hmm. but made it a little bit more accessible and so what you heard is like some of these really authentic gospel artists like John P Key and and some of these others that the original versions of the song were really soulful and and complex mm-hmm. Brooklyn Tab sterilized them just a little bit like on a scale of one to ten you know michael w smith might be 10 on the sterilization Mm -hmm. brooklyn tab might have taken it to a three or four sure right and 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 it became more mainstream and they won emmys and you know for a long time there that was 
at least in my world, yeah. that was where we were I getting mean, a I, lot I of our think car there's, music. I think there's still a little bit of uh, uh, maybe interest or desire there. I mean, but like if you ask, if you were to ask somebody, hey, who who's the only one with a, who who has a gospel voice on CCM radio? I'm like Mandisa. You know, mm-hmm. that's really it. Like that's that's all I can all I can think of. But if you listen to the songs, like her voice has that that gospelly uh, quality to it. Uh, but the uh, uh, the the backing track, as it were, uh, is is just like anything else. There's the, the complex rhythms are gone and things like that, and and uh, you know it's not easy listening. And uh, I I don't know. Yeah. yeah. The more the more I think about it, Matt asks a good question, even though I don't agree with some of his presumptions. I think mm-hmm. that that it is a complex question, and yeah. so kudos, Matt. I don't I don't mean to poo poo on your question. I I think that it it is a it is an interesting question, and I don't know. Maybe I need to think about it some more. But I I think that uh, right. You know, there's always there's always that like organic. That desire we all have for the original, the organic, the mm-hmm. the and, and what regardless of style, yeah. and I think that um, when th- you when you do get back to that, mm-hmm. there is something sweet and interesting and unique about that. Case in point, Waymaker, um, you know, it's a great example. I like John. I didn't know, I didn't know there was a, an original version beyond Leland. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. Um, and I think some of our reaction may come from like there's and we're Matt we're not accusing you of being a neo Marxist <laughs> we're not we're not making that accusation no. uh, but there's there's a tinge of like cultural appropriation type of uh, thinking in here where you know I'm I'm of the opinion that everybody steals from everybody I don't care if it's food fashion or music or True. whatever yeah uh, everybody is borrowing from somebody mm-hmm. uh, I was not the first person in the world to wear all black all the time yeah right right <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that yeah. <laughs> uh, you know and you know we even get into you know things like guitar you know Jimi Hendrix I think he's the most innovative guitarist ever. Um, I think he's probably one of the most influential guitarists ever once you trace out the lineage. And uh, Mm -hmm. he happened to be a black guy. But Mm -hmm. the guy that influenced him the most uh, is how he got his band name, Band of Gypsies. Mm. He's a gypsy, which I understand some people don't care for that term. And I think the more proper term is Romani for that ethnicity. But regardless... um, Hendrix wasn't influenced pi- primarily by black people. Mm-hmm. So, so then how far back do we go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, eventually, somebody is going to be borrowing or stealing or whatever you want to call it in terms of style from someone yeah, else. Exactly. And like, that's, a, like blues. that's okay. Like blues, for instance. I mean, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You know, John Mayer is a flavor of, uh, has some flavor of blues, not in his radio stuff. Disclaimer, true. Not in his radio right, stuff. True. You know, uh, Eric Gales has has his own thing. Um, oh, uh, oh, geez, um, I'm forgetting all the classic blues players now. Uh, but they all have their their own kind of sing- even some Clapton stuff. Like they all have their own flavor that's all in this this genre, and it's been influenced by each other. Um, and uh, and that's certainly not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. 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 Inquisition? Good. Let's do it.
So the Inquisition is the segment where we take questions from a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. As is tradition, Brian Morris asks our first question. Here we go. What role should patriotic hymns have in a worship service, and why is it zero? (laughs) (laughs) You just want to add and answer the question. I I like Brian. Oh, yeah. (laughs) that was that was a fun episode yeah, last week. Thanks for coming on again, mm-hmm. Brian. Um, but you know we're there. We gather corporately to sing to Jesus and about Jesus. I don't come to church to sing about America. Yeah. That's not to say that America is the worst thing in the world. It's a pretty okay place to live, mm-hmm. it, it, particularly when compared to something like Venezuela or North sure. Korea. Or uh, depending on what day it is, and if they're getting invaded France, yeah. Uh, since since you know they just can't win a war, um, but, <laughs> but I don't come to church for America. Yeah, I mean, there there you know going back to the Lutheran hymnals, there are patriotic sections in there um, that have you know right. Uh, God bless America, for instance, and older older mm-hmm. hymnals have you know Battle Hymn of the Republic uh, and, and things like that, and. Uh, like, I remember when I was growing up that on Independence Day and things like that, uh, or at least the Independence Day time frame, uh, you know, we would we there would be um, hymns that that we would sing that had a very patriotic uh, and what even undertone. I mean, it was just tone. Um, I'm <laughs> and many of them were even even written to the tunes of things like "America the Beautiful" and uh, and, and things like that. Um, and you know, I, especially after September 11th, I started seeing a lot of that too. Um, yeah. you know, when, when patriotism was arguably at an all time high, at least in, in modern decades, um, that, that was something that this is where we're all gathered. So, you know, let's do this. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I mean, I'm not even particularly a fan of having American flag in the sanctuary, and we don't at 211, right. but our traditional sanctuary does. Um, they mm-hmm. have the American flag on one side and then uh, the Christian flag on another. And Cody, I know you take take uh, take issue with the Christian flag, um, with the concept I of do. it. Um, what? <laughs> but it's uh, you know they're there, uh, and they're there in part. Uh, because that's where our school children we have a we have a school a Christian day school um, that's where they gather uh, to do their chapel services and where they do the pledge of allegiance the pledge of allegiance to the flag and the pledge of allegiance to the cross um, which uh, is is unique I think outside of so, uh, of so they at at Southside Christian yeah. at, in my Christian high school we did a pledge to the Christian flag. So, oh yeah, no, no, I, that, it, it, it it is that it's like I, I pledge allegiance okay. to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness, mercy, redemption, something for which it stands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something yeah. so, something along those and lines. Never mind that the pledge of allegiance was written by a socialist, but <laughs> anyway. But, <laughs> let, let, but you know, like we we've never done uh, a patriotic. Sp- Thing specifically in in two eleven, um, our, our our former worship leader who had been with the church for for ten or so years before he he moved on uh, was a veteran. He was a U.S. Navy veteran, and mm-hmm. uh, one thing and so was his dad. His dad was a Vietnam combat veteran, if if I remember right. And 
you know, one thing that he did, I think it was he did it twice on Veterans Day when Veterans, yeah, on or the Sunday before, because Veterans Day is always on a Monday, I think, isn't it? Is that how that works? Um, but anyways, on, on Veterans Day time frame, uh, the band covered uh, Lay Down My Guns by... I think it's probably Sanctus Real or something like that. And the veterans would, would march in um, to be recognized and thanked by the congregation for their service to the country. And, and uh, while, that, that, while that had meaning and, and was framed in a way that we give thanks to God for those uh, who offer their, uh, their lives and service to uh, us in the country— I don't believe that that's appropriate uh, for a church service to do. I mean, we can we can certainly show our appreciation, but to take um, to take a, an entire moment of of song and and really fanfare because they marched in with a drum and lights and and American mm-hmm. flags. I'm like, there is nothing wrong with the concept of of patriotism in in mm-hmm. my book. But we are gathered at the church to receive God's gifts and to return to him thanksgiving and praise. And we can certainly thank him for uh, creating us to live in this country and the blessings that are afforded by that. But I just, I just don't see the, the need to um, sing, uh, you know, America the Beautiful uh, in a worship service. I, I don't know. Amen to everything John just said. Let me contextualize it in this way, and you guys tell me if you agree or not. Sure. Um, I think that the nation of ethnic Israel uh, plays a unique role in redemptive past, present, and future. Now, we can talk about what that unique role is. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are a wide variety of thoughts about that, um, but I, I think it would be personally. I think it's tough to argue that the nation of ethnic Israel has a level of, or, or has a distinct role in the redemptive plan of God. That being said, the earthly ministry of Jesus and the missionary enterprise of the Apostle Paul and others was very much about removing national distinctions and gender distinctions Mm -hmm. to point us toward kingdom citizenship um, and that we are strangers and aliens in Mm -hmm. this world, whether we live in America or Zimbabwe or somewhere else. Um, So why would we, again, I'm not anti-patriotic, I'm not anti praying for our nation and our leaders and yep. our and and being thankful for the freedoms we enjoy here in America. But why would we want to intermingle patriotism into our worship? That that's where it gets yeah. it, it yeah. gets messy because it compromises some of the most crucial elements of our gospel worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it gets. So my point is that if Jesus would come along and in his ministry to the Jews begin to give pointers and and announcements and um, commissions that would extend way beyond the borders of national Israel, Mm -hmm. 
And the Apostle Paul would come along and say, there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Why would we want to promote, encourage, buoy this notion of God and country in America that I think has really the, the intertwining of the American dream and the gospel, our gospel hope has been one of the most deadly toxins in the really modern yeah. evangelical church. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to, you know, again, I, I think you have to really ask the question, why, why would we sing patriotic hymns? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's the point? And I have yet to, you know, have anybody give me a good answer that lines up with our, you know, our mm-hmm. biblical approach to worship. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely. I don't know about the eschatology portion of it, but <laughs> we can pat that around later. We can nuance that. Well, le- well just let me say this. <laughs> he much. just had to say something, didn't he? Did God choose Israel out from among the nations of the earth in okay, the Old yes. Testament? Absolutely. Did God send Jesus to the nation of Israel? Yes. Is the nation of Israel playing a crucial role in the salvation of Gentiles? Currently, right now? Yes. Uh, and the fact that Jesus was a Jew, yes. No. Right? Paul says, or Paul says that the Israel's missing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is what draws the Gentiles. Yeah. Right, right, right. Right? Right. And then the Gentiles are going to make the Jews jealous, mm-hmm. and they're according to Paul, right. is going to be a mass redemption of national Israel before the coming mm-hmm. of the kingdom. And it's right. Am and I right about that or wrong? No, you're right. Okay. You're right. You're so, right. The ergo... Okay, fair enough. Right. <laughs> when you, when you talk great. Israel... You, you didn't want to go toe-to-toe with me, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what, you, you often say national, and I wouldn't agree that national Israel, like geopolitical... No, not geopolitical. Right. I should That's say why ethnic. you said ethnic, right. sorry. specifically right. ethnic Israel. I said Come on, Cody. The first time. Okay. Come on, Cody. <sighs> I said let, ethnic let, Israel. Let me mishear stuff. <laughs> I'm allowed to mishear stuff sometimes. All right, so you fellers <laughs> can make fun of me as much, not as much as you want, but a significant <laughs> amount for this next question. Okay. From Phil Moses, he says, in all seriousness... Was there a reason you took out the lip ring, or was it just because? <laughs> Man, I had that thing in for nine years, and I got tired of it. There you go. He was tired of he's not getting, being able to eat he's, soup. He's getting he's getting old, Phil. That's the problem. I mean, he needed to close older. that up before his skin started to sag. <laughs> He would just no, de- he would just devolve into that old guy. He would like, hey no, kids, listen, let's John, see the hole in my John, <laughs> John, Cody's just becoming more mainstream. Yeah, he's sterilizing. He's sterilizing, I'm sterilizing <laughs> for the CCM machine. <laughs> hey man, you know you get in the business, man. Sucks you in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Phil also asks, what are some bands or artists that you consider your guilty pleasure? Like you're actually a little embarrassed that you listen to them. Guns and Roses. Really? I just, I don't know. It, In his yeah. old age, he can't hear the low frequencies very, very well. So he has to, <laughs> has to depend on Axel's high register to, uh, uh, to actually yeah. hear music. <laughs> yeah. Also, I used to, uh, this is really bad, but I used to like to listen to Eminem when I worked out, when I used to lift weights a lot. That was when I first started coming. Yeah, you told me that. I used to listen to Eminem a lot. I, I stopped, but... You know, I don't really have much guilty pleasure now. I mean, I listen to 
stuff like Dave Matthews sometimes, mm. or occasionally John Mayer. I'll get on board with Dave Matthews. I was a DMB fan for a long time. Um, I just love to hear him play acoustic. Mm-hmm. I mean, as the, the the talent level of that band is just through the Carter oh, yeah. Beaufort. Mm-hmm. Carter Beaufort, oh, arguably the best drummer yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah, no yeah. joke. Um, I think for me, I can only really think of two, and and one's only a guilty pleasure because like, um. If like people who looked up to me as like a leader in the church knew I listened to it, like I don't know what that was like. I like Iron Maiden. Like I, I like Iron Maiden a lot. And nice. I mean, like I don't have like the T-shirts and like memorabilia on my walls, but like, um, like if it comes on uh, radio or I mean I don't go to bars, but if it were to come on a bar and I was able to turn up the volume, I would. Uh, but the actual guilty one that I, that I am embarrassed to admit here and, and literally everywhere else is I, I really like Hanson. Like, I, Whoa. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, I can make... My, I ear, can make, my earbuds just flew out of my ears. I can ears. make you some excuses here. pathetic loser. I can make some excuses here <laughs> and say that uh, the, their live and electric album was, was pretty good. Uh, but... Dude, I know I know Umbop uh, by heart. Mm. Like, uh, mm. bless your heart. Yeah, bless your heart. Yeah. So there you have it. What are you, what are you pulling up there, Bradley? All these stupid ads on YouTube. Are you trying to pull up Hanson? He's he's so dejected by my <laughs> confession that he's just watching ads on his phone now. No, I was just gonna provide our listeners with. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. All right, that's enough. That, that is enough. Plant a Thank tree, you. plant a flower, Hanson. plant a rose. Oh my, oh my goodness, goodness. Hanson. Yep. Uh, I, so, in terms of, uh, you know, since I listen to louder things, the things that <laughs> the bands that I like that get crapped on in uh, in metal circles, like reformed mosh pit which yes is a real facebook group um i enjoy periphery and ghost and i don't feel bad about it um i don't even know who that is i don't think think there's a problem with that uh but then there's also uh i guess i could say something i'm a little embarrassed that i used to like which was uh pod i didn't payable upon death yeah or payable on death pod i just just, the whole rap rock kind of thing like <laughs> what wasn't POD like I, the, the I Christian like Wimp Biscuit like uh, <laughs> mashup sort of thing? Effectively, yeah. I grew up. I stopped listening to POD, and eventually, I took out my lip ring. <laughs> there, there we go. Uh, let's do one more. One more. Uh, Ryan Eigel, are red letter Bibles a help or a hindrance to reading the rest of Scripture? Mm, good question. I think it kind of depends on your approach, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because all three of us would wholeheartedly disagree with the red-letter Christianity movement, yeah, which is is really just theological liberalism, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where if if you're looking for maybe a particular reference, maybe looking for quotes of Jesus, it could be helpful. But if you start putting an overemphasis on what Jesus said compared to the rest of scripture, which is all 
just as God breathed as yeah. those quotes from Jesus, then that's where it becomes a hindrance. I, I, think, think. I think that's the risk, is that when you make a... Uh, uh, oh, uh, not discretion. Uh, I, I don't know. When you when you make a make a difference where there's not one, uh, mm-hmm. then people are going to assume that difference is accurate. Right. Um, I think you know, just like you alluded to. I mean, it's it's a helpful study tool. I mean, I have a few red lettered editions on my shelves, and uh, I mean, I'm not going to burn them or anything. I mean, right. or I'm not going to sell them on Amazon because I can't stand the fact that, uh, that, uh, you know, there's a, a difference there because thankfully I have, you know, I have the understanding and the conviction that all scripture is God breathed and right. uh, holds the same weight and authority as the words that were, uh, recorded, uh, that Christ spoke in his person when on earth. Uh, but I, I do think the real the real issue with it is making a difference or distinction when there's not one. You know, I think this is a great question. Um, and what I would say is that referential additions mm-hmm. to Scripture can be helpful. Yep. Um, if we see them as such. Right. Um, you know... But like my my per- I have a Bible that is my personal devotion Bible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it's the, I, I only use it for that. Um, it's 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 and it's not really a Bible that I use for dissecting Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's just a Bible that I use for reading because it has no verse designations, no chapter headings, no red letter. Mm-hmm. You reading the message it, there, Bradley? No, it's an ESV. <laughs> it's an ESV. Sorry, but it only had to. has. It, it only has the chapter numbers, but even the mm. chapter numbers, oftentimes the chapter breaks come in really bad places. Mm. Right. You know, those were added after the fact. They're not inspired. And that, that would, I guess, would be the, um, the thing that I would say is that we have to realize that even the, red, the addition of red letters, um, do, the, 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 the color of the font is yeah. not inspired. Right. Mm-hmm. Neither is the chapter heading. Neither is the chapter number. Neither are the verse numbers. They're not, or, or even the book names. Even the book names are not inspired. That's right. So we need to. We just need to see them as such. And it's helpful to me to have a Bible that I just read because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people, because of all these referential additives, they just don't read well mm-hmm. because these things tend to get in our minds and and and. I think mess up our thinking to just read what's there, read what's there. And I find that that Bible, you know, when I get up in the early in the mornings and I read, it is just so helpful and refreshing to me to not have all these other things in the way. I just read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I study, I don't, I don't use a red letter edition um, when I study, but I do have study Bibles that have room to write they have margins they have line breaks and and chapter headings and and you know all those kinds of things and and when i start i have a bible that i write in and i have a bible that i don't Mm -hmm. um and so that but that i think that's a great question is just let's just be careful to not let those those things that have been added influence our reading too much yeah because stuff like Cross references or oh, so helpful, what, like that. That can be really, really helpful. But really it's, helpful. it's also entirely possible. Like I have, I have the uh, Ligonier Reformation Study Bible, and it's too. and it's awesome. Yeah, but it's also 
just as easy to only read the commentary at the bottom that's right. And totally forget to read the actual mm-hmm. scripture. <laughs> or read the actual scripture and don't spend time meditating prayerfully on it before your eyes fall to the bottom of the page and you right. read what R.C. Sproul had to say about it. Right. I love R.C. Sproul, mm-hmm. but I don't want that to, you know, sort of just cause me to never engage in the discipline of meditation and thought and wrestling and prayerfully with a text before I go read what somebody else wrote mm-hmm. about it. You know, it's, I, I think it's, it's just too easy for us to, even with chapter headings, to, to conclude that we already know what, the, what that yep. is going to say. Oh, Jesus healed a guy, whatever. He healed a guy. So what? Spoiler okay, I know, I know what, I, Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like the Cliff Notes version yeah. of, of the Bible. You know, yeah. you don't want that. Yeah. Awesome. Good episode today, fellas. Yeah. yeah. That... that that took some turns I didn't expect. Maybe we're on the that way up. <laughs> Maybe it's not all downhill from here. <laughs> so make sure you follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave a five-star review. Support the show at anchor.fm. You know the drill. If you do that, make sure you send me your shipping address so I can hook you up with stuff. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I need a, I need a sign offline. <laughs>